0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hi, and welcome to Cryptobiography. I'm your host, Brandon Starr. This is episode 347 of Cryptobiography, and it's part 18 of Tomorrow. And here we go. She was paddling as hard as she could, but there was a splash behind her. Someone had tried to jump down onto a moored boat and then onto hers, but the moored boat had moved too much and he had fallen into the water behind her. Others were now running ahead of her on the dock. Some were climbing down onto the boats to try to reach her, Two looked like they were going to try to jump directly from the dock, over the boats, and onto her boat, despite their bulk. One jumped, but clearly didn't have the strength. He crashed down onto a boat, and not only did he hurt himself, but also another man who was on the boat and leaning over, hoping to grab Betty. The other one was more athletic. He launched his great hulk off the dock and came down with a mighty splash just beside her boat. But he grabbed the side of her boat. There were others on boats nearby. She couldn't wait. She couldn't hesitate. She couldn't be merciful. She took the paddle, swung it around over her head, and brought it down with a crack on the man's head. She saw just a hint of blood, and the man immediately sank under the surface of the water. She was horrified, but went back to paddling, trying to go to the side of the channel away from the grasping hands. One more man leaned way out, holding onto something and managing not to capsize his boat, though he was cantilevered way over towards her. He managed to barely snag at the boat, but when she made a threatening swing of her wooden paddle, he let go and her boat was then beyond his grasp. There were about six of them in different boats now. As she reached the end of the dock, they all had the idea of going after her. They were all having to locate the paddles, move things out of the way, and unmoor their boats, however, whereas she was already underway. Another close glance behind her told that even if they had paddled faster than her, she had a moment or two. She put the paddle down and hefted the sail with its boom onto the hook that would connect it to the mast. There was a rope on the mast, which connected to the sail. Then she raised the sail. She had done something similar on a couple of the boats on the island. Fortunately, this one was in working order, and her exertions had not damaged the sail or its mechanisms. The wind caught and bellied the sail, and she was underway. She kept looking behind her, but no one had come close to catching her, before she had her sail up, and once she did, they'd all given up. At least four of them seemed to be trying to raise their own sails, but without apparent success. She was truly in open waters now, and the sun was coming up behind the clouds. It still gave a bit of light and lifted her mood. There was a bit of a swell, but she knew she could deal with that. She knew the way home, and she found herself excited to the point that she was rocking forward and back as though her motions would add to the inertia of the boat. That was her feeling for about half the ride, but as she first saw the island off in the distance, she realized her family was gone and many of her friends and neighbors were killed as well, particularly the women who were drowned after their kidnapping. Still, it didn't completely remove the excitement she felt because she would at least be among friends. The sail, of course, had a giant red cross on it. She hoped that anyone watching wouldn't do anything too rash. As she approached, she could see the dock she would make for. No one was there at first, but then she saw Oliver Coplin. He was looking at her, clearly trying to determine if this was some sort of threat. She waved and then patted the top of her head. The signal he Im- that he had himself taught her meant all is well. It worked, because he suddenly jumped up in the air then made the same signal back to her. Then he ran off, probably to get someone she didn't know who. She landed and winched the boat up and put the sail down. Oliver came running back with John Travers, and also with Albert, her brother. Her heart jumped and she ran to him. They hugged and Betty found himself sobbing into his ear. I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead, he replied. No one who got taken onto that ship came back. No, Betty said, and they won't they're all gone, including Joan. She started to tell the story, then stopped. She gave just a brief rundown, saying, I'll have to tell the story to everyone, and I've got to get the news out. There's so much to tell, but I don't want to tell it ten different times. Let's get a meeting together as soon as possible. And also, is there anything to eat or drink? Soon she was fed and watered at Oliver's house. His was close to the docks, and a bit separated from the others and therefore was one of the houses not destroyed by the raid of the mainlanders. She had told everything she could about Joan to her brother Ron, who had gotten the news about Betty's arrival and had hurried to her. She hugged him, and they shed tears together. Then she took a walk as the meeting was gathering. Even though this meant she hadn't seen all the town yet, she was shocked by how much damage there was. As she walked, she realized why. They had maintained the houses so meticulously— but they had done so in large part because some things simply could not be replaced if they were damaged. With many of the houses burned, in part or completely, there just weren't new parts around to remake them. They could try to do more scavenging, and no doubt that had started in her absence. This would include scavenging from the houses too damaged for them to repair. But this was always the issue. Their world was one of trying to keep the March of Entropy away, Protecting what they had was the only way to keep it. They weren't making new drywall, or new windows, or a hundred other things. They could still woodwork, and they did as much metalwork as they had access to, but it was all a stopcap. Their homes might last a century or longer with great care, but eventually they would return to whatever level of technology they could keep up, and the raid by the mainlanders had greatly sped up this process but then she shook her head. She needed to let everyone know what was happening. She thought about everything she had seen and wanted to make sure that they were warned about it. Then the meeting had started. They were outside. It was still evening, and there was sunlight on her face as she got up on top of the picnic table to address the town. She told them what she had seen, what she had done, and what had been done to her. She even told them the parts that scared her, nauseated her, angered her. And she could tell it was making her friends and neighbors scared, nauseated, and angry as well. When she was done, she had a suggestion. They only had the one working ferry. But there were others, and they may some day get one going again and try to attack us again. Or they may take their small boats and try to attack us with a number of them. We know they can make it over here in one of the small boats. We've seen them, and I was able to as well. She had looked behind her during their escape and none had followed her, not today, but someday they would. But they are likely to do it again. Why? Because their society has a few people who get to eat, are so well fed that the main marker of their wealth is their bulk. Everyone else is thin to the point of sickness, and it's destroying them year by year. I was going to be married off to one of their elites because I was healthy enough to have children. And I have a plan. And that's the end of the episode this week. Hope you enjoyed it. I am enjoying writing it. Obviously, we're getting pretty close to the end of the story, but there's still more to tell. If you have any comments or questions about this episode or previous episodes, cryptobiography at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Mastodon. And thanks for listening. Words and music copyright 2024. Brandon Starr, all rights reserved. Characters and events are fictional, fictionalized, or satirical.